Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Well, hello from my side to everyone that's joining with us online, and it's so good to have more people in the building today, so thank you for joining us. It's great to be encouraged and know that we've got some human beings with some flesh and bones. Happy birthday to Bubs. It's her very special birthday today. She is drawing closer and closer to an extra special birthday, so well done to you. Congratulations. Um, if you're joining with us for the first time, we've been taking a look at arguably the most famous speech in human history, um, certainly the most famous speech that Jesus ever delivered, and is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And even just from the little intro that you would have seen there a few moments ago, uh, we started off with looking at Jesus' manifesto. This whole, all three chapters, we're not going to get through all three chapters, by the way, in case you're thinking, wow, this could take another year. We're not. We're just tackling chapter five, and then we'll probably pick up chapter six again Maybe next year. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but, but it's very much a description of Jesus' manifesto for, for human flourishing, for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so even just those uh, depictions that were uh, read off and described in that little intro video, it's known as the Beatitudes, which is very much uh, what Jesus described as being the attitudes of a follower and the blessings that are attributed to his followers. So, so everything that was described there is, is just some examples of an attitude of a follower, but also the encouragement in terms of, of we can trust God for in our lives. Then we also took a look at how the church, so Christians, followers of Jesus, are going to be persecuted, but how the persecuted church is meant to be salt and light to a persecuting world. Then we took a look at how ultimately our righteousness needs to be far greater than just knowledge and, and just believing the right stuff or knowing the right stuff and, and ticking the right boxes. No, no, it's actually a heart issue. And, and if that heart is where it needs to be, then we're going to obey. We're actually going to put that stuff into practice. And then last week, we looked briefly at um, how we handle anger, how to make sure that we do not sin when we get angry. And I really feel like even last week's uh, focus as well as today, and you'll see over the next few weeks that I believe this constant theme keeps coming up of human dignity and human flourishing. Last week, the way the way that the way that we looked at Jesus' words towards handling uh, conflict and reconciliation and anger is actually about the dignity of another person that we continue to value others as well as what it does to our hearts. And so there's a human flourishing element to it, but there's also this human dignity element to it where we are, in my opinion, constantly reminded of what Jesus said. We've got the summary on the wall that everything is wrapped up in these two key principles and practices that we will love God and we will love people. Today, I'm taking a look at a 
reasonably well-known passage of Scripture, and I've simply titled this Lust and Limbs. Um, it's not the title, it seems, that the Bible interpreters chose to use. It's probably, it probably says something like adultery on the top of the paragraph in your Bible, but you'll understand in a moment why I think Lust and Limbs would have made a better title, and if I had been one of the Bible interpreters, I would have helped them with a more catchy uh, title. Together, Matthew chapter 5, simply verse 27 to 30, four verses. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. This is Jesus speaking. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, if I can pause for a moment, we're living in a radically different age to even just a few decades ago, not to mention a few millennia ago. So in case you're getting offended at the idea that Jesus is addressing men, don't. He's actually addressing men because they were the ones that were often getting away with adultery. So, so women would have been more penalized back in the day. Men, men, because of cultural norms, would have felt like they could get away with it. So they could easily divorce their wives. They could easily you know, commit adultery. So, so, so he's not saying that, this, that the principles don't apply equally. He's just specifically addressing the real problem in the room at the time. Okay, so it needs good interpretation. So he's challenging men saying, hey, you may think that someone who commits adultery is, you know, is that there's something wrong with that. And yes, it's one of the, the Ten Commandments. But I'm telling you that if you even just look at a woman with a desire for some type of sexual fulfillment or gratification, if you look at her with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus gets hectic. If your eye, even your good eye, I don't know how many of you have a good eye and a bad eye, but if you have a good one, then he's referring to the good one, okay? Causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, I'm not going to do a survey, but I'm guessing that especially a lot of young Christian men have read this portion of the Bible and closed it quickly. Because the idea of having to gouge your eye out is pretty hectic, and in my opinion, there isn't, now I'm, I'm just speaking as a guy, I, I don't think that, that women are exempt by any means, but I don't think that there's a, a guy that has ever lived that has not battled lust in some form or another. I, I don't know that there's a woman that's ever lived that hasn't. So anyway, the idea of having to actually take this kind of radical action would make your knees shake. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, so in other words, if you're right-handed, he's referring to your right hand. That's, that's why in some trans, English translations it refers to your right hand, because that would be the dominant hand for most people. If it causes you to sin, by the way, in case you've ever wondered, yes, I think he is referring to using your hand in the context of lust. Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body, your whole body, to be thrown into hell. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Hey, just a light-hearted little look at cutting off our limbs and, you know, gouging body parts out of our... Now, now, if he was being literal, some of you would argue that there were other parts that could be cut off that would have made a more significant difference. I think that this was metaphorical. I think that he was using hyperbole, so, so an exaggerated... Uh, uh, illustration to emphasize how radically we need to take getting rid of anything that would actually lead us to sin. 
And so as a quick side note, I do want to encourage you, if maybe you're here today and this is not something, or you're tuning in online or you're listening to this podcast, and this is not something that you battle with, that's wonderful, thank God for that, but I, do, I, don't, want, I don't want you to switch off because I think that most of the principles that we're going to look at, so triggers and suggestions, you'll note that it's suggestions, not solutions, because I don't know that there are silver bullet solutions, but I've got a whole bunch of suggestions for us in a moment, that the principles can actually be applied to any area of our lives that we're struggling with, where we know that this isn't according to God's plan. But this particular passage is addressing lust, which is sexual. It is addressing adultery. And so without getting too deeply into this, I want to just quickly encourage you and remind you that sex was God's idea. It's not meant to be dirty. It's not meant to be forbidden. There, there is, it is a gift from God, but that also means that the, true, the truest fulfillment of sexual uh, intimacy is meant to be fulfilled according to God's plan in the covenant of a marriage between a man and a woman. Of course, there is a lot of philosophy and, and talk around the world where people effectively would argue that it's, that it's just physical, it's nothing major, uh, you know, it's just another appetite like we have all kinds of other appetites, but you will never ever speak to someone that has been the victim of abuse and feel tempted to say, oh, it's just physical, like it's okay. No, no, we all know deep down that there's something different. There's something mystical, there's something mysterious. There's something that cannot fully be explained about, about the gift and, the, and the, the, the spiritual side of sexual intimacy. Looking at a couple of verses, I won't unpack them in detail, but in Genesis, so right at the beginning, right, in chapter two, one of the very first chapters of the Bible, it says this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife, I love this, were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, that, I think, was a literal, but I actually think that that is what the figurative description should also be relationships, in our marriages, where, where, where actually you can be completely vulnerable and actually not be weighed down by shame. You can know and be known. There's, there's something about keeping God's gift of sexual intimacy for that kind of relationship that, that is hard to fully describe, and I think it gets watered down by all kinds of other stuff that is available. And, and again, today more than ever before, in history, where your average child or teenager has access to, to gazillions of hours of pornography in their right pocket for the most part. Like we have got access to, to, to being sexually gratified that we don't need another. And by the way, I mean, I even heard a story of how in Japan they are creating a, a type of robotic doll that, 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 that you can create to be who you want it to be, and you can enjoy some type of sexual intimacy where, where, where you don't need all the hard work of relationship and the soul part that gets attached to relationships. Guys, think about it. Never before in history have you needed another person less to be gratified sexually. In my opinion, adultery is giving the attention and affection any attention and affection to someone other than your spouse that should only be given to your spouse. It's any time that we are allowing ourselves to be stimulated or gratified outside of that marriage. And that's why I just want to encourage you, in case you're here today and you're like, ugh, 
Ugh, I don't need to feel worse. I just want to encourage you. I don't think that there's a single person here or watching online or listening to the podcast that, ha that, that has ever been able to stick perfectly to the plan. But that shouldn't discourage us from actually trying to draw closer and closer to God's plan and purpose for our sexuality. I also want to acknowledge, and, and again, I, I, this would be a whole other series on its own, but I also want to acknowledge that if you're someone that is struggling with gender identity or with homosexuality, so like a same-sex attraction, or, or any of these, these turmoils and dilemmas and, and wrestles and questions, I don't have any easy answers for you. My heart aches for you. I, I, I've never seen people actually experience more pain over the years, over 25 years of ministry, than when someone is, is battling with, with what they believe is outside of God's plan for sexual fulfillment, and yet, they, they, so they're trying to align with God's plan for their lives, and, and just the wrestle that goes with it. It is hard. I just want to encourage you. God loves you. God notices you. God wants you. God cares. I can't promise you that there's some kind of easy solution, or that, or that you'll ever get to a point this side of eternity where that's no longer a challenge. I can't promise you that. I can only encourage you to keep trying to draw close to God, which is ultimately the same solution for every one of us, in my opinion. So I apologize that we cannot get into that in more detail. So Genesis, we read this. Matthew, Jesus, is also quoting that passage uh, from Genesis where if you go down a little bit, he again says that the two are united into one. Verse 6 says, so since... They are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. It talks about the, the role that God plays in actually joining two people together. Let no one split apart. And I want to just even encourage you, if you're single, you may think, well, like, surely I can't commit adultery if it's one single person with another single person who's not married. I think that we are committing adultery against our future spouse and against their future spouse. Now, now again, in case you feel like people are going to judge me, if I've committed anyone that has lusted is equal to the battle of committing adultery, spiritually. Consequentially, because of real consequences, that's a different story, but spiritually, Jesus is trying to say it's the same thing. Paul, one of the Jewish leaders, says the same thing in Ephesians 5, verse 31, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Are you hearing the same phrase? Three times. The two are united into one. One last passage. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 16 says, And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, now this would be true for any relationship, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two, you can say it with me, are united into one. And that is God's plan for us to actually be one, it has been argued, and I agree, that the single greatest key to intimacy, to sexual intimacy, is exclusivity. The single greatest key to intimacy is exclusivity. It is God's plan for us to not have to compare, for us to not have to worry, for us to not, I mean, guys, there's enough stuff to feel insecure about. Like, we don't even need extra help, right? That's why I want to encourage you that God wants something for us. He's not wanting something from us. He's not trying to, he's not trying to keep all this sexy, fun stuff from us. No, he actually, I think that Christian couples that are, that are loving God and loving each other and are fully devoted to one should be enjoying the greatest sex on the planet. I'm very mindful that my 16-year-old daughter is sitting in the front row cringing right now. 
So, so God's plans for, for this sexual intimacy and fulfillment, his guardrail is marriage. So it's very much like building a fire in a fireplace or in a bride place, okay, in a bride pit. It's where, where we have it, we're building it in a place that is kept safe. A fire can warm a room or it can burn down a house. And if we're honest and think about this truthfully, deeply, with integrity, we would agree that for the most part, giving into sexual appetites have burned down a lot of houses. Burned down a lot. And, and again, I just want to encourage you, if you're sitting at, or, or watching online thinking, well, like I've had a lot of experience. This isn't a big deal to me. I'll, I say this with the greatest deal of love, that I think that you've probably just gotten to a place where it's no longer a big deal to you. And I think that God can redeem that. I think that God can restore that. If you're able to go from person to person to person, or from porn side to porn side to porn side, and, and, and no longer feel anything, there's a good chance that we have walked far away from what God's plan is. And, and the, the, the problem with all of this, of course, is that sin is attractive. And lust is attractive. And people wouldn't have affairs if it wasn't attractive, and people wouldn't view porn and share porn if it wasn't. Like, there's something about it that's attractive, but it does ultimately lead to death if allowed to grow. Some of you have heard this before. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It will eventually lead to death. Whether it's the death of relationship, the death of intimacy, the death of self-esteem, it will eventually, spiritually, it, it'll lead to death. And again, just Christianity aside, the Bible aside, more and more research is showing the dangerous, damaging effects. In fact, there's curriculum being created, I think it's in New York, where, where young people are being taken through a curriculum on how to, um, how to view porn like wisely. So, 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 so basically, because it's, like, it's no longer a question, it's, I think you'd probably struggle to find a teenager that doesn't have some kind of adult filter on their phone, which if you're a parent, I'd encourage you to put a filter on your kids' phones. Um, and so they're trying to stop them from, from viewing uh, violent pornography and, and, and exceedingly or excessively demeaning pornography. It's not even a question of whether or not they should view pornography. It's like, how do we make this a little bit more constructive? Because science is revealing that, that it is literally rewiring people's brains. Because you get a dopamine hit when you, when, when you are stimulated in that way. But like any other drug, the, the more you keep trying to stimulate it, the, the more you need in order to stimulate it. So it's this whole idea that what you feed grows and what you starve dies. So, so, so you may think, well, I have this appetite, maybe I can just satisfy it. You will never satisfy an appetite by feeding it. You, I can only ever grow an appetite by feeding it. Second Peter 2 verse 19, the last part of the verse in the New Living Translation says that you are a slave to whatever controls you. So, so this, isn't, this isn't about guilt and shame. This is an invitation. This is an appeal. This is, I believe, Jesus saying, guys, there is a way to flourish. There is a way to treat people with dignity, to not view someone else as just, as just some piece of meat to gratify you in some way or, or, or an image to, no, no, let's, Treat people with dignity. Let's love the person that you are tempted to continue to 
to view. One last point before I just get very, very practical is to encourage you that our sexual formation cannot be separated from our spiritual formation. And so the primary question around formation is who am I becoming? And so whether or not you are even someone that is sold out on the Bible as the inerrant word of God or not, I wanna just simply ask you the question if this is something that you're just giving unfettered, unlimited control in your life, who are you becoming? Are you becoming more loving, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more joyful, more gentle? Or do you find that it's making you feel a little bit more empty, a little bit more low, a little bit more down, a little bit more private, a little bit more numb? It forms us. What do we give our attention to forms us. So, let's get practical, okay? Jesus recommends radical action. Um, as we read earlier, he's like, if, it, if your eye's causing you to sin, cut it out. If your hand, cut it out. He's saying, like, do whatever it takes to remove the source of desire. So six triggers. These are just some things that I can think of. Maybe there are plenty others. The first is just physical. And, and, and I want to acknowledge for a moment, especially for younger people, so teenagers and, and young adults. Guys, I wish there was a pull that you could take, okay? There is a physical, hormonal wrestle that, 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 that goes on and that is raging. And I just, I, I just, I just have empathy. I don't even think I have great solutions for you. I'm just telling you, it sucks. There is a physical dynamic. There is a physical trigger. I'm not saying it stops in your 20s. I've, I've listened to men like in their 70s in gym talking like they're teenagers. So I'm guessing that, again, it doesn't just go away when you feed it. But, but I think that there is a physical hormonal dynamic that is just hard. And, and, and so what I'm saying is let's, let's not let that excuse it, let that explain it, and let's just do everything we can to put boundaries in place to stop ourselves from gratifying it. Because again, I don't know about you, but as a teenager and young adult, I also loved food. And so if I just keep giving into that appetite, I would be even bigger than I am today. So I would say, I would suggest that things like exercising and, and, and hobbies, trying to find anything else that gives you a healthy dopamine hit, you know, like, like, like a, where, you, where you don't feel crap afterwards, where you don't feel some huge level of shame and guilt. Um, and, and again, I'm just saying, even exercising alone helps you to process a lot of the, the different like stress hormones that's going on inside of you. I think number two, media is, is arguably, after just the physical stuff that you have to deal with, I think media is probably the, the biggest trigger. Like, I mean, do I even have to explain this? Like, it's just hard. Hey, you, you can be in a great place and just wanting to watch a family comedy and like something happens that can just trigger it. Not to mention, not to mention watching what you know is already restricted. Like, like, yeah, okay, we'll get into that. Media, right, media, social media. You can be reading a news article and it, and it gives you a story that just triggers curiosity that can take you down a rabbit hole. Number three, fatigue, I think is, is often a huge trigger. I think the older people get, the more this plays a role, where when you are actually tired uh, and your willpower is exhausted and you just want to feel something, you either want to escape or you want to release, so, so be careful when you are tired. Be very, very careful. Number four, pain. Pain can be a huge trigger where we are wrestling over grief and loss 
and disappointment and disillusionment and you just want to escape that feeling. I'm saying these are triggers. Five is stress. Emotional stress, where, where there's just this lack of peace and there's this frustration or burnout. Or maybe there are relational issues where, where if, you, if you kind of look for the issue beneath the issue, you don't feel sufficiently loved. You don't feel sufficiently wanted. You don't feel sufficiently beautiful or handsome or, or, or like you belong and matter to somebody. And, and just those, those, those gaps that can exist in our emotional stress, our identity can just, man, it can be such a trigger. I, I'm trying to give you some examples to point out that I don't think it's just a, I don't think it's a one-dimensional problem and I don't think it is a one-dimensional solution. I think it's complex. And number six is the spiritual enemy. We do actually have an enemy. Now, I don't want to give a lot of attention to this or to him or them because he's got a whole bunch of helpers, but, but let me just encourage you with 1 Peter 5 verse 8, stay alert. Like, don't be surprised. Like, don't watch Game of Thrones and be like, oh, where'd that come from? Now, I haven't watched Game of Thrones, but I can read the restriction on Game of Thrones. Now, when it, I don't know what the, I don't know what it is, 16 or 18, but when it tells you that it's that for nudity and sex, like, I don't need to hear from the Lord. I'm just telling you, there's a good chance that, that I'm going to be vulnerable. So it's just stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You are lunch for, some, for, for an enemy. Just, so so be, let's not think, oh, this is all just natural. It's just my human habit. No, no, no. There's also a spiritual battle going on. He never has a moment of mercy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to separate you from God. Don't think he just wants to make you dirty and perverted. No, no. He wants to do, he wants to do damage. He wants to rob you of your destiny, sometimes more than what we are committed to our destiny. And he wants to rob us from what is available to us in God more than sometimes what we're willing to fight for. it. So verse 9, stand firm against him. And be strong in your faith. So I know I don't have a lot of time left. Ten suggestions. I know it's ten. They're going to fly. Okay, stick with me. And the notes are on you version. So, so, so if you need to go back and look at these and reflect on these and pray through these, which I would recommend to a lot of people, then do that. But just by means of, of, of a scripture passage around these suggestions, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 in the NIV says, flee from sexual immorality. Or in the New Living Translation, it says, run from sexual sin. Joseph, didn't, he, didn't like, he, didn't, he didn't walk away from part of his wife. He, picked, he ran, okay? Don't, don't like gently try and back out from, the, no, no, we need to run. If you read that passage from the very beginning that we read, the words of Jesus, he's actually putting the responsibility on the tempted. So yes, it feels like the world is against us in terms of trying to be sexually pure, but the responsibility is on the tempted. And these are just a couple of suggestions. So number one, again, looking at media. I would encourage you to have filters on your devices that limit any kind of adult content. And if, and if that's not enough because you'll just take it off, then give the password to a friend. It's, you know what, we will ask someone to look after a phone or a, or a house or a, or, or a child or, I don't know, I can't think of great examples. You know, like look after my jacket, but I won't ask someone to look after my soul in the, in the sense of like, hey, help me fight this battle. So watch what you watch. I, I must be, I'm just telling you honestly, I, I look at some Christians that can watch certain things and I'm like, you must be more godly than me. 
or you're in denial because I can't watch some of that stuff and it not feed something that I don't want fed in my life. Yeah, but Jay, I'm a pastor. I'm a man. I'm a human being. Like, do you think that I can watch stuff that, that 98% of the world would say is attractive and, and, and it not spark something? I mean, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I can't. So I need to be very, very careful there. Number two, environments. Just watch the environments that you go to. So, like, you know if going to that club or going to that beach, like, I don't think I've been, I don't think we've been to Clifton in 25 years uh, in summer or be, while the sun's up. Like, when the sun's down, it's okay. Anytime before that, it's like, hello? Anyway, what parties you go to or certain friends that you hang out with, you know whether or not those environments are helping you or hurting you. Number three is exercise. Like just getting endorphins working. Just uh, Again, guys, none of these are silver bullets. But, but I would recommend that if we're not processing some of the stress, some of the emotions that we're feeling, some of the fatigue, it's going to hurt us. Number four is a curfew. Some couples have been helped by the Lord through the country putting a curfew uh, into, <laughs> into place. Um, you need to be, in my opinion, if you're a Christian couple, you need to be extra aware at night. You need to be extra aware when you're tired. Why do you think Sue and I got married in like nine months? Because we're human, and, and, and it was getting harder at night. So, so there needs to be a curfew. I do, I do want to say, by the way, and I've, said, and I've said this to couples, because I've had couples sometimes feel, I guess, quite proud of themselves saying, yeah, no, no, I can hang out with my, with, with my girlfriend or boyfriend. You know, we can cuddle. We can watch stuff until whatever time of night. And, and, and like, it's okay, like, like, like they've got really strong boundaries. And, and that's one thing for the first while, but if that can go on for months and months or years and years, I'm like, you may need to find a different girlfriend or a different boyfriend. Because, because honestly, it sh- something should be stimulated. Yeah. I, I've had people, t- and please, I, I might sound like I'm being facetious, I promise you I'm not. There is so much grace and compassion, yeah, seriously. I, I'm trying to make a point. I've had other couples that are living together, but, but, but trying to kind of like, like honor God, where they where they're not sleeping together. And I'm like, if you can do that for a long time. Now, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know for sure, but I'm like, how does that not mess up your marriage one day? If you're so sufficiently training yourself to not be affectionate and intimate with your spouse. I'm like, maybe we're, maybe we're working against God's plan for marriage. And Okay, now that you're all feeling really encouraged. Number five, is just simply consider others. Consider others. What I mean by this is, and this I think is almost equal to men and women nowadays, but, but, but in the way that you dress, in the way that you show affection, in, in the way that you get emotionally vulnerable with one another, I'm, I'm saying that these are things that can make, that can put us in a very vulnerable situation. Let's, even if you're strong, can we consider other people? Number six, excuse me, is accountability. Accountability. Have one or two friends to your future that you can talk to honestly and vulnerably. But I cannot emphasize this strong enough. Don't just let the accountability be on the bad stuff or on what you want to avoid. Let that be 2% or 5% or 10%, but let the 90% be about what is positive, about, about life-giving habits, about habits that are forming your heart in the way that you want it to be. We, we're not going to be pure in, in any area of our lives just because we are, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to think about it, but I am thinking about it, but I'm not going to think about it. I'm not gonna, I'm not, like, if we're just going to keep focusing on what we don't want to do, where do you think we're going to be drawn to? The thing that we're focusing on. So, so, so make sure that 
the accountability is constructive. Number seven, magnify the consequences. For me, besides my soul and my relationship with God, the consequences are my wife and my children, my responsibilities to you, to our community, to God's destiny, my eternity, my relationship with God. Let's not water down the consequences. Let's magnify, not to, make, not to add shame and guilt, to just, to just give us perspective. Number eight, obey the whisper. This is referring to God and His whisper. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And look at this. This has been one of the most encouraging verses to me over the years. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's the whisper I'm talking about. Or you might be saying, uh, hello, Jason, I've been tempted way beyond what I can handle. And I would say, really? Because if you're in a relationship with God, if you're following God, I would argue that somewhere before you got into the position where it was beyond what you could handle, there was a whisper. There was a prompt. Now, if you're like me, there are so many times in my life where I ignore the prompt. Like if it's a relational issue and I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, Jason, shut up, I ignore it and I'll go ahead and then I experience the consequences. I don't think God allowed me to be tempted beyond what I can handle. No, no, I ignored him when he showed me the way out early on. So obey the whisper. Number nine is prayer. And I'm so concerned that for Christians, this could just be like another cliche or, or something that we are inoculated against. But I want to encourage you to push back spiritually. I think of that passage in the Lord's Prayer where it says, lead me away from temptation, deliver me from evil. Guys, that should be the cry of our hearts over and over and over again. And, and, and again, I like that it says, lead me away from temptation. Oh, and deliver me from evil. Because I don't know about you. I'm like, God, please, can I just not even be tempted? Don't just deliver me. Please help me to avoid. Like, I'm so tired sometimes of having to fight temptation in, in any number of different areas. And you're like, God, just, God, please, you know what I can handle Lead me away from temptation. Deliver me from evil. But, 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 when I talk about prayer, I'm talking about a relationship with God. Prayer is not a, it's not a magic formula. It's not a superstition. It is intimate. Prayer is, prayer is relationship. If you feel like there's a relationship involved, we're, we're missing it. We're doing something wrong. We don't want to just fight temptation. We want to fall in love with Jesus. We want to slow down enough, as Timmy said earlier, to look at God looking at us with love. If that means that my prayer needs to be silent, where, where, I, where I'm not talking and babbling, and God help me, forgive me, deliver me, to where, I, to where I just need to actually slow down and be quiet and say, God, help me to be present with you. Remind me of your heart for me. Would you remind me that no matter what I've done, what I'm wrestling over now, that, that I still matter to you, that you care, that there is hope, even where in the natural I can't see it. Guys, pray. Like, none of these other things matter if we don't come back to a relationship with God. And lastly, number 10, and I mean this 
desperately seriously. I've, I've heard this now a few times, and, and the more I think about it, the more, the more it makes sense to me. Number 10 is to fast. Physically fast. I think, yes, fast media and, and, and do like a soul fast, a soul detox, where you we just avoid some of the junk that we expose ourselves to for so many hours every day. But, but there's a lot to be said about actually fasting food. So, so, so where you actually, where we withhold something physical from ourselves, whether that's a meal a week or two meals, you know, like half a day a week or a day a week or, or once a month to start with or whatever the case is, there's something spiritual that takes place. When I'm saying, God, I'm, I'm going to train. We've, we've, we've spoken so much about habits in our church and practices. I'm going to train myself to not just give in to every appetite, to every desire, to every prompting. In conclusion, the final verse on reach, and again, these are Jesus' words, words that he shared with a woman who was literally caught in adultery. Religious leaders were trying to catch him in a trap and we're trying to get him to basically confirm a death penalty upon her. Some of you know the story about you know, people picking up stones to throw and he says, you know, whoever's without sin can throw the first stone and people start putting the stones down one by one, starting with the oldest first and then the youngest probably because they were a little bit more self-aware. But I love how Jesus says these words to her. These five words, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And I want to just encourage you, if you're still breathing, you could be struggling, you could be failing, you could be so discouraged, and it's, and it's so hard not to feel like, of course God would be condemning me. Of course I should be ashamed. I want you to hear those words. Jesus speaking, saying, neither do I condemn you. There is hope for the humble. There is grace for the humble. He invites us to confess, to repent, to try again. Yeah, yeah, Jason, I've, no, no, and try again. Yeah, but Jason, and try again, and try again, and try again. Well, Jason, how long? As long as you're alive. Keep trying. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would repel the plan of the enemy, the discouragement of the enemy, the shame of the enemy. God, that you would reveal to us afresh your love, that you notice us, that we matter, that, that we belong with you and that you have a plan, that you have a plan for human flourishing and for human dignity. And that as long as we are willing, you are so committed to helping us walk one step at a time and grow one step at a time. Even if we've confessed it a thousand times, even if we have tried 10,000 times, God, that with you, there's always the invitation to try again. God, I don't, I don't believe that, that shame and condemnation leads to any lifelong life change. It is only your grace. It is only your mercy. It is only your love. It's only your invitation. And as we keep trying to walk with you one step at a time. So God, would you encourage every single person that is watching or listening to this right now in Jesus' name and help us to renew our strength, to recommit 
to your vision. God, for those of us that are thinking, this is way too far gone, there's been so much, there's no way that I can, God, help us to write a brand new end. And to start today, to start with humility, with vulnerability, with honesty, with just, with just trying and knowing that this is a long-term journey. Help us to honor you with our sexuality. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.